This is Hans Finzel. Welcome to the Leadership Answer Man. This is a show for leaders about taking leadership to the next level. Whether you're a seasoned leader or just starting out, I promise to give you practical leadership tips that you can use this week. No matter what your leadership situation is, I can help. Remember, leaders make things happen. My passion is to help you lead more effectively. Welcome to episode 25. We're going to be talking today about launching your encore and what to do later in life when you have to give up your position or you want to move on from uh, success to significance. Just a lot of great stuff we're going to talk about today related to later in life significance and that scary word retirement and how to really find meaning and purpose later in life, maybe post-career. I am so thankful to have my friend Dr. Rick Hicks as a special guest on the show today. So let's listen into this great interview. Well, welcome to the show, Rick. Happy to be with you, Hans. Good to have you here today. Uh, you and I have known each other for quite how, how many years have we known each other? Probably 17, 18 years. Yeah, we met through a CEO fellowship. Uh, let's start by just telling the folks a little bit about who Dr. Rick Hicks is. Rick and Kathy, who are you? Quick introduction to your uh, kind of your work history. Well, I grew up in the Southern California area after I went through kind of some trials and tribulations of the 60s and kind of became a believer and sorted my life out. Then I just found that I had a real interest in uh, why people do stuff. <laughs> I wasn't particularly an academic guy, but it just always interested me why certain people do things and different people do them differently. So that kind of led to my academic path and just my what my vocation is and my interest in life. Before we talk about your academic path, which leads to our topic today about uh, leadership, especially in later years of life and reinventing yourself, the encore of life. Before we get to your education, give us a quick summary of your three main work pursuits in your career. You and I are both baby boomers. We're both children of the 60s. We're both black sheep that have turned gray. Give us a quick summary of your work history. Well, uh... Basically, my dad gave me some advice when I was very young, and he said, you know, you're going to be better off if you work with people. He said, don't work with your hands, and probably if you could keep away with uh, relying on your mind, you might do well. Uh, Stay away from power tools. <laughs> <laughs> my dad had a, a unique insight into me. So early on, I, I was into sports and all that kind of stuff and hunting and fishing. And, and so the first thing I did was just recreation. And I actually have a Bachelor of Science degree in recreation. But I, I went and studied that because it's just like helping people learn how to play. As a result of that, it took me to my first serious job in life. And that was working at Forest Home Christian Conference Center. Started off as the recreation director. Uh, found very quickly that I enjoyed the people more than the actual recreation. So that actually evolved into me going back to school and ultimately preparing myself uh, to become a dean of students. So I left Forest Home and I went to work at Biola University. Started off in the housing department over all of residence life, which is still kind of recreation related. Then I became uh, ultimately the uh, associate dean of students at Biola and had studied a lot about how students develop and what needs to happen at their stage of life. And then I just said, you know, this is pretty cool, but I, there's probably stuff beyond just students. And so I thought through that a little bit more and then realized that I wanted to do this for kingdom work. So I took kind of all that stuff and I said, I really would like to do this in cross-cultural missions. And so after Biola, I actually went back for another 12 years at Forest Home, but really with the idea that I wanted to be involved in more than just a local involvement. 
so I was uh, I did some consulting and some analytical work and stuff for a group called Operation Mobilization. Uh, their president left, and they called me. I never I hadn't worked for them, just consulted, and they called me up one day and just said, "Hey, man, you want to be the president of OM?" Uh, for, first, I said no because I didn't want to raise my support. Um, and then I kind of sought what God was thinking. And ultimately, after a few months, it was the right thing. And then I started working for OM about uh, almost 18 years ago and have just enjoyed every day of it. Now, I'll tell them just uh, our listeners, Operation Mobilization is a well-known uh, organization in certain circles, but yeah. other people haven't got a clue who OM. So in your elevator speech, when you run into people that haven't heard of OM, or what, what do you tell people is the basic deal about OM? Well, OM, we work in about 110 countries. We have about 6,000 people that work with OM, and we have a ship. We've had a couple of ships. We only have one right now. That goes around the world and um, does a lot of different things when it comes to port. And so ultimately... Uh, we work all over the world, and uh, we do everything from church planning and evangelism to relief and development, hospitals, schools. We really like to get involved, and what we say is we like to transform lives and communities. I mean, yeah. so basically, we work on people, getting them right with God, and we see that you can't ignore the community and the issues that are surrounding people. Uh, so we do a little of everything and that's kind of what OM is. Okay, and you've been uh, you were the president for uh, fourteen, 14 years. years, and then uh, one. What we really want to talk to about today, our topic is uh, launching your encore and uh, baby boomers, especially, but all of us as we get older in life, and many times we have to eventually face the fact every single one of us will have to leave the positions that we're in and go on to something else. And the question is, what is that something else? And that brings you and I together. We've been friends for many years, but a couple of years ago, we got a harebrained idea to write a book together about this uh, later stage in life. So now let's go to your PhD studies. Tell me a little bit about your PhD, because it really comes to play in this whole topic. Well, when I was uh, at Biola University and I was kind of thinking where I was, I realized I wanted to have this greater level of involvement. I met with uh, a guy that uh, started the U.S. Center for World Missions, Ralph Winters. And I said, Ralph, I want to get involved in missions more than just higher education. What should I do? And Ralph said, it's real simple, Rick. Just go get a Ph.D., which, which is <laughs> yeah, not... that's real simple. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. For a guy that got kicked out of high school and kicked out of college, uh, that was not exactly the thing I wanted to do. But he said, "Here's the deal: if you want to serve around the world, if you want to offer things to other countries, to other places, you want to get into different countries, it might be nice if you had something to offer." <laughs> yeah. And I said, "You know, that actually makes sense." And so I said, "What should I get my PhD in?" He said, "It doesn't matter." What are you interested in? Because that's going to be kind of your sweet spot to help people in various parts of the world. And so I thought back and I go, well, you know, I really, as I was mentioned just earlier, I like figuring out how college students' minds think and what needs to happen at their developmental stage. So I started looking around at Claremont Graduate University and Peter Drucker's there and some other guys that were just really into the kind of organizational side, but really focusing on the people side of things. And so I went to Claremont. They help you design your own program. And ultimately, they said, here's what you want, Rick. You want to study developmental psychology, and you want to study organizational psychology. And simply put, how do people grow and develop and change over time, and how do they apply that in a work environment? 
So that's what I studied. And it, it actually was fun. I'm a non-academic guy. It's like if you like watches. It's just you tear these watches apart and you see what makes them tick. And for me, what makes organizations and people tick, that's what I study, and I just find it fascinating. I uh, am a huge fan of Peter Drucker. Of course, he was he's no longer living, but he was a famous German uh, management guru. Yeah. You studied under him? Oh, yeah. He was... Just give us a little bit of flavor. What's that like? What was he like? Well, you know, Peter was an interesting character. And by the way, at Claremont, you, you couldn't call him Dr. Drucker. I think he had two earned PhDs. But you had to call him Peter or Mr. Drucker. That's just kind of their little thing. And so, and he just said, give me a break, guys. I'm old. I've done everything I'm going to do in life. Call me Peter. So, so uh, Peter was, he just, he I think really was the smartest man I've ever met. You could ask him a question on any topic, and he knew the origin, the history, the process, and why it is or isn't working today. Uh, just being in one of his, and his classes, you sit in his class, and there's 60 guys, and we had guys flying in from all over the country. And I drove 20 minutes down the freeway. But guys would fly in from all over the country to be in this class, and he starts off the class by saying, okay, you guys have all read my books. If you haven't read my books, you shouldn't even be in here. And, and if you haven't read them, go read them because I'm not going to talk about them. You, you just should know that stuff. And he says, what we're going to do, you're all leaders or executives or up-and-coming people in your fields. We're going to take real-life stuff. You bring a question to me at the beginning of the class. He didn't prep. He didn't need to prep. He <laughs> His is, whole life was He prep. is the prep. Yeah. And he said, bring a question, and we're going to... We're just going to deal with it now. And some guy raises his hand and says, now this is a while back, he says, why is healthcare so screwed up? Now, that was like 20 years ago or even more than that. Yeah. Uh, and he said, it all started with horse and buggies and tetanus. You get tetanus from horse manure. And because everybody was in horse and buggies and they were on horses, tetanus became this huge problem. And then... Once, then from that, we had to figure out how to solve that, and they had to institutionalize that. And he goes from horse manure <laughs> to how hospitals develop, how they run, and it all made sense. And that was one session. And people walked out of his class just kind of going, who is this guy? He's got it figured out. And so every class you go sit with Peter, is you just couldn't wait to sit down and listen to the guy. Just You just want to cut him and see what information he bleeds. He's just an incredible guy. Now let's shift gears to uh, the what, what you and I have coined the sixty eighty window. Yeah. Uh, what do we do in our lives from sixty to eighty? Because people used to uh, work till they were sixty five, they would retire, and a year later they would die. Yeah. So, what did you learn in life stage development studies about this later stage of life? Yeah. Well, Hans, this is what was so fun about studying this stuff. Is when I was in my thirties, by studying this, I knew developmentally what was going to happen in my forties. In my 40s, I knew what was coming in my 50s, and I really felt like I had this huge advantage on most people because I knew what was coming next in my developmental stages and, and stuff I'd be dealing with. And it's psychological, emotional, medical, work, just life stuff. Um, and so I just, I just love this stuff. I always felt like I was ahead of the game. And that, But now, as I'm getting a little older, when I was like in my early 50s, I'm thinking, now what happens when I get into my 60s and 70s? And oddly enough, all the research guys and all the people out there, they kind of, when they get to 60, they just developmentally call it old age and just say, you're going to check out before you do much more significant. Now, there are people that do significant things. Actually, these days, a good number. But from the research, it's that's just this void period. So in my 50s, and that's been over a decade 
ago, uh, I was just thinking, now, I don't have a game up on everybody here because I, I don't know what's coming next. So that launched my interest in finding out what happens uh, in that age, in the age between 60 and 80. And as you mentioned, historically, people work till they're 65, they die, they retire, they die at 68, and there is no stage. But now people aren't dying at 68 or 78, maybe it's 88 or even beyond. So now people are living this huge amount of time after retirement, which is a vague term and who knows when people retire. But generally speaking, when you get to 65, things shift. So there's this huge amount of time and we're realizing it's actually a new developmental stage that hasn't existed in previous generations. And so I've been looking at it because you and I are so like-minded. We've been talking about it for years and it's like, Hey, let's look at this and let's give our friends out there a heads up on what's coming. Now, we've come up with a couple of uh, terms for this era. Not that we originated these terms, but um, the, the, the period of life between 60 and 80. Uh, both words begin with E. One is elderhood. Yeah. Which we don't like. We don't like. <laughs> but uh, the other one is elder lessons. Yeah. Uh, tell my listeners here a little bit about this word elder okay. lessons. Where did it come yeah. from, and what does that mean? Yeah, it's a. I think it's a great term, and I hope it catches on because I think it. I think it represents what's really happening here. And uh, back, if you go back, uh, well, you go back to the turn of this, the previous century, developmental stages. It was kind of childhood, youth, young adulthood, middle adulthood, and on. And then, uh, uh, actually, in 1904, a guy by the name of G. Stanley Hall, he realized, hey, there's this kind of new in between stage just because of discretionary time and money, modernized society and stuff, that there's this gap between being a kid and an adult, and he coined the term adolescence. Huge transition period, and it's um, now they have what they call prolonged adolescence, and you're supposed to go for about five or six years. Sometimes it goes like for 20 years with some people because they never shift out of it. But there's adolescence, um, and so he added a new stage. Well, we believe a new stage is being added, and because we are elder, but it's still that transformative time, this phrase, elder lessons, um, is beginning to stick. And it's really this new developmental period because so many more people are actually at this stage and still very capable to do a lot. Now, you and I are both wired to where when we turn, we haven't turned 65 yet, but you and I don't believe in the word retirement, do we? We almost titled this book, <laughs> Retirement is a Four-Letter Word, but we didn't think any publishers would buy, the, at least the publishers that we talked to. But uh, People we talked to, and yesterday you and I uh, surveyed a, a bunch of old guys and just asked them, what, what comes to your mind when you hear the word retirement? What are some of the things we heard? Well, you know, one guy just, he the first guy just popped up. There's like five or six guys we don't know. They're all buddies. They meet in this little place where we were at all the time, and they're talking about a wide range of things. The first guy pops up and says, free. Um, and then somebody else pops up and says, you know, you either hate it or you love it. Uh, and one guy said, what, what, I think he said, uh, I don't like it because I can't afford it. Yeah, I'm never going to retire because yeah, I can't, afford, can't to. afford it. And I asked the guy who said, my friends either hate it or they love it. And I said, the guys that hate it, why did they hate it? Because they don't know what to do yeah. and they're bored stiff. And that's what we're addressing is what do you do during this period because we believe we should not just lay on the couch or lay on the beach 
I had one guy that you and I talked to who said, all I want to do is sell my business and lay on a beach and drink beer. Yeah. Now, what would be your answer to a guy that has that idea? Well, I responded right back to him in the restaurant, this guy that we met. And I said, that's fun. You know, I'm a golf freak. I love golfing. I could golf every day of the year, I think. But I said, I said to him, you know, that just collecting shells and golfing, that would be great for a month. Exactly. And then the core back in life, I mean, I think we all strive to find meaning and purpose and if you stop your vocation or your career or whatever it is that you did, if you don't replace that with something that brings meaning and purpose where you're contributing to your own family or your own society, uh, if you don't find meaning and purpose, life is going to get really out of balance and it's going to get weird. And it's going to actually have a pretty negative impact on you medically. Those are the two key words for us, meaning and purpose. And it's something different for every single person. Now, here's what we have observed, that there's a lot of societal pressure on people around the middle of their 60s to retire yeah. or to quit doing what they're doing. And you and I both had this kind of a life shift in the last couple of years. You didn't actually retire from OM, but uh, you made a decision, didn't you? Tell, tell yeah. what, did you, you well, what did you decide? I think, uh, and, it, and this changes, these are very general comments, of course. I think that basically when you get around mid-50s, something happens in you, and it's like what happens in a salmon when they are told that you go upstream and you spawn. And it's instinct. I believe it's, I believe it's God-ordained. But something in you says, and it happens when you wake up one day and you kind of say, I've got fewer years ahead of me than I do behind me, and if I want something to be significant, I better address it. So you start thinking, well... Even if you love your job, and I loved my job, it's like, you know, I've been, I've been the president of this thing for 14 years. Now, there's some guys, young guys I'm mentoring. They could take this to another level. So it's that whole idea of, it's not that I don't like it. It's that there is a season of change, and we grow into this season of change. And it will be a different age for different people, but it's this thing that society is going to start pushing you at 65, but I think internally we start thinking that in our heads even earlier. What is next for me? How am I going to exit right? How am I going to actually live, survive, and then even find this meaning and purpose in this new stage? So uh, I've been looking at uh, getting some new life insurance, and I've been told I'm going to live till I'm mid-80s. Yeah. <laughs> they say if you're 60 today, you should make it to your mid-80s. Yeah. That's the and medical reason. So when I turned 60, I felt after 20 years as a CEO, it was time to to move on because I kind of lost the passion and I've done other podcasts on that topic, but I felt like it was time for the young people to take it to the next level yeah. and for me to follow my next dream, which was not just laying on a beach in Mexico. So you but and you I, do want to go to Mexico every I do now and then. Love on the beach. laying on the beach in Mexico. So it's okay to but still not have fun. All the time. Oh, you could do it for two <laughs> weeks, but I'll bet you couldn't do it for two months. No, you're right. I couldn't because I have uh, I have to do something significant with meaning and purpose. Yeah. So our our observation is a lot of people when they get into their mid sixties are going to have to lay aside their positions of influence their their main careers like this guy we talked to yesterday for 32 years he worked for a county government as a bureaucrat and he's so glad he's done with that and he's finding some new meaning and purpose but our our whole idea is we want to proactively be ahead of the curve so we talk about a crossroads 
Uh, and what what would that when people get to that place in life where either they're forced out or they realize they have to leave? There's a crossroads, isn't there? Yeah, and you know, see, you you hit the the, the first entrance to the crossroad earlier. Everybody is going to leave their job. You're going to either get fired, you're going to get, get disgruntled and leave, you're going to become irrelevant. Uh, there's all these ways. Or you might just naturally come to your retirement yeah. age, uh, like our friend Scott we yeah. talked to the other night, and you just retire. Yeah. But then what? Yeah. And and what I say is what come when what comes after that is if you think ahead of time, you can do that retirement or that stepping out or that changing on your terms, or you can wait and have somebody do it to you. So I say look ahead and start planning and say, what is it that I want to do for this next 20-year period? And the crossroads is when you get there, a lot of people, they'll they'll retire. Uh, they don't have something significant to do. They, they Many times for whatever crazy reasons, people move when they retire. They move away from their community, their support group, their friends and all that. And now they're in some other place. And you have a choice to make. And uh, Henry Nowen wrote on this in a book that's really quite old now called Aging. And he said, if you basically don't make the right decisions, you can actually go to the dark side. And in doing that, you become kind of self-absorbed. You become whiny. You become a grumpy old man and people don't want to be around you. And you ultimately feel entitled. And when you do that, you're just like stewing in your own juices. And you're just really going downhill. That's the dark side. Now, Nowen says, or you can choose the light. By the way, he wrote this book before Star Wars, when, you know, <laughs> go to the light and go to the force and all these other things. But in going to the light, he says, actually, now you become a significant person in your society. You look at ways that you can contribute back. And instead of being entitled, you become a contributor to society. And people now want to be around you because you're optimistic, because you're sharing the, the the knowledge and the wisdom that we've developed over our years. And even if we don't feel like we're like the smartest guy in the world and we have all this counseling wisdom, if we shared nothing but our mistakes that we've made in life and help other people not to make the same mistakes we have made, that's a career in its own self. It's just like, don't do that. It doesn't work. Um, or at least be aware of these things. It didn't work when I did it 32 years ago. And so the crossroads is you're going to kind of go out weird and just live your own life for your own self and be grumpy, or you're going to actually maybe have the capstone of your life. It may be the most, and you and I are experiencing this, aren't we? To be the advisor, to speak into people's lives, it's like really a cool stage of life. Your la Max Lucado says your last act can be your finest. Yeah. And we are finding, as we're doing research, all kinds of people who are having the greatest times in their lives in their 60s and 70s and some of the greatest contribution of their lives. And that's our message. Uh, launching Your Encore is the working title of our book right now that we're in the middle of writing. Why do you and I feel uh, we need to write this book? I've always been told, do not write a book unless it's burning inside your heart and it has to get out. And you and I both feel that. So yeah. why, are, why are we doing this? Well, I think you can tell just by what I'm saying here. It's, it is a burning desire for me, one, to learn as I go. And I'm right in the middle of all this. And, but I've just always been in the kind of jobs, the kind of roles, the kind of responsibility in society where I like to build into other people. I like to prepare people. When I know stuff, I like to share it. And what we're finding out 
uh, this is life-changing stuff because if you if you don't think ahead and prepare for it, you're not as likely to achieve what you want. So I want to give people a heads up. Hey, this thing is coming. No matter what you do in life, you can't change it. This whole season of life is coming. Yes, unless you drop dead, this will happen <laughs> well, to you. <laughs> and this, this is for those that don't drop yeah, dead. By right. the way. Uh, yeah. And everybody we've been sharing uh, with uh, about this book that we're writing says, I can't wait to read it. My sister, who's older than me, I told her about it the other day, and she said, Hans, you know, I just moved to Oregon, and uh, we're living in a building for people over 55 called the Encore. Yeah. <laughs> she thought that was pretty cool. Who's but, our audience in this book? Well, I think the audience starts for this group that's probably somewhere in their 50s, this instinct when it starts kicking in. That's the beginning of it. It's like we're saying start thinking ahead, start preparing, and that's going to be in the 50s. Now, of course, financially, hopefully you're going to start preparing for this long before. Now, you know and I know as we read all the statistics, most of the baby boomers are going to retire with not near enough money. And both you and I in the service (laughs) worlds that we have worked in, not big financial worlds, and we'll have to struggle with that. Uh, But financially, you've got to start a long time ago. But basically, you can start thinking, where do I want to be? What, what is it that I think could bring me meaning and purpose? Uh, and start kind of playing some of those roles now just as a warm-up. And then when you actually get to where that's going to be your full-time life, you, you've been there a little bit. You're not starting fresh at 65 or 68 or something like that. And it's like, oh, if I would have known this eight years ago, I could have actually taken some classes or I could have gotten involved in some groups or I could have gotten on some boards or whatever. So we say start warming up in the 50s. Um, and then implement it. And then the second part of the group, of those of us like you and I right now, we're in it and we're just saying, what's a good path? Yeah, and the path is different for every single person. I think what I'd like to do is wrap up by each one of us telling a story of somebody that uh, has been a success case. And I'll start while you think about who you want to tell about. Thanks for the heads up. Yeah, (laughs) but uh, there are some great stories of people who have reinvented themselves. And let me say, I have talked to so many people who retired and then unretired because they hated the traditional idea of, quitting my work even if I have the money and doing nothing. That's what we call a rolling retirement. Yeah. And some people have the opportunity. This guy, maybe you can tell about uh, the firefighter dude. Yeah. Uh, But I'll tell about Julie Clark who broke the glass ceiling in the airline industry and was one of the very first women captains of a commercial airline back in the 70s and 80s when, you know, there weren't a lot of people, women, who sat in the first seat in the front of the plane when you're <laughs> flying around. Well, back when she she had to retire, mandatory retirement for pilots back then was 60. Now, thankfully, they've upped it to 65. Because at 65, you can still do a good job. But she found that she loved her career, but they made her quit she bought a little plane, and today she is a stunt pilot, and she has got this shtick where she goes to these air shows all over America. She's one of the most popular uh, parts of these air shows as she does these stunts and acrobatics, and they're all, they have this beautiful patriotic theme. Julie Clark, that's uh, a great example of she loved her profession, but she had to quit, and she... She found a way to reinvent her 
her life around what she loved. And that's what we're telling people. You don't have to stop. Don't let society force you to stop. You can shift. Yeah. Well, you know, you mentioned my brother-in-law, and I'll just say that uh, that's probably as good of an example as I could give. Uh, my brother-in-law was a fireman. You know, he started like when he was in his teens, literally, in these fire camps in Malibu, and he just kind of went, you know, fire department, he kept getting promoted. And so, you know, some of the examples that we give are big, well-to-do business executives, and other people will be living on minimal income, and it's going to be the whole range. And he's a, he's a firefighter and a good one, and he... He got promoted a lot, and so like, he's like in his early 50s, and he meets all the retirement requirements. Well, he knew that was coming, and so, you know, my brother-in-law did this stuff. He went and took all these trainings where he could do hazmat stuff, uh, and so he would get asked outside of his job to come and lecture on certain things and get involved. And then um, in the fire world, when they get these big, massive brush fires, you know, that take hundreds of thousands of acres, well, they don't have any fire department that's in charge of that, so they have to get guys from all over the country. Well, he volunteered to go on those things. And so he's done all this stuff in his 20s, 30s, and 40s to prepare. So now he's in a position where he can retire. But because he built into what his future could be, he gets. He can go do seminars on chlorine spills, or he can go uh, be one of the head guys that does one of these massive fires. Uh, he's retired from the fire uh, department, but he now gets called to do these things, and he is free. He's got a couple of sons, both pastors, and they need help with fixing up their houses and stuff. He's free to come and go help his sons. He's free to go fight a forest fire. And this guy's he's living the life, man. I mean, it's, he's a great guy, but he has thought ahead, and he's prepared, and he is in his encore. But he'll be doing it for a number of years because he started earlier because he thought about it earlier. And that's a what we kind of call a rolling retirement where you can go in and out of your old career yeah. just to make some more money. Uh, also, uh, there are many people who retire three or four times from various careers. Yeah, that's very common. So our outcome, and the last thing I want to say is that we're going to leave people with an outcome that when they finish uh, the book, they're going to have a plan. They're going to have a written plan of launching their encore. Pretty cool, huh? I think it is. Yeah. Hey, thanks for being on my show today, Rick. I'm Good. looking forward to us finishing this book, and we're hoping it's published in 2014. We do have a publisher, so as soon as we get her done, it's going to get out there. Great. I enjoyed being with you, Hans. Thank you. Okay, I hope you guys liked that interview. That was great. I just think uh, Rick and I are very excited to write this book, and I think that uh, we hope to create a seminar out of the book to help people like you who want to move from success to significance or from failure to significance or from a job that they maybe don't like, from a miserable job to a fun job. I've seen a lot of people later in life be able to reinvent themselves and follow some dreams they never were able to follow before. So stay tuned to that. Would you do me a favor? I'd love to get some feedback from you about this interview today. Here's the question I would like to ask you. If you could do anything later in life after you pass six what would you like to do? Please email me at Hans at HansFenzel.com or go to my website at HansFenzel.com and let me know what you would love to do. What is that dream? Maybe it's a secret dream you've never verbalized. What's your dream later in life to really have something amazing happen as your perhaps one of your final acts? 
This has been Hans Finzel. Thank you for listening to the Leadership Answer Man. Remember that leaders make great things happen. We can always take our leadership to the next level. I hope you keep listening and learning and that you go out there this week and make a difference with your leadership. <laughs>